0: You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Avram Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Clear the aisles, the projectionist has Smicha. Hi, I'm Avram Kivelovich. I'm here with Yitzhak Kolakowski. It's been a while, Yitzhak. We've had uh, uh, sort of a month off uh, since our last foray into darshaning about old movies and vintage TV. And I know uh, uh, part of that month uh, was Chalamoyed, where I know you had time off from your other job, and um, you were able to sort of, uh, you know, uh, I guess, uh, uh, feed your uh, your old movie buff bone in some way, right?
1: Oh, we had we nothing had to watch for many, many years, and I just never found the time to sit down and watch. And to be honest, I was kind of distracted and didn't watch that carefully, even though I could tell it was a very good movie, 1932, The Old Dark House, a Universal uh, picture, and it has a great, great cast: Boris Karloff, Charles Lawton's one of one of one of Charles Lawton's first movies actually, Raymond Massey, who we've spoken about before, Gloria Stewart, uh, so it's uh, Ernest Thesiger, who you know also famous for uh, another, and it's directed by James Whale famous for another James Whale movie with Carl. Sure, we Carlo talked
0: about James Whale when we talked about Bride of Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein. Wave,
1: right? so it has a lot it has those two from Bride of Frankenstein Carlock and Thesiger, um Melvin Douglas just a, a fantastic ensemble cast interesting. Uh, it's interesting cuz it's as far as i know it's one of the few uh universal movies other than the silent movies like the fan of the opera that I, you know, we talk a lot about copyrights. It seems that this movie fell into the public domain. It's free on Tubi and a, on a few other streaming. I think it's on YouTube, and uh, but I also uh, I found a better copy, I believe, on Criterion. I think that's where we watched it, and it was really quite uh, quite an interesting movie. The thing that you know, it's it's one of these you know, kind of typical, you know, the the Uh, people they're they're driving and they and there's a horrible storm and they get stuck in this house you know that the only thing they can find where to go and they wind up uh, finding this this very this old dark house filled with very eccentric characters Uh, there's one woman who's very religiously preoccupied Boris Karloff is the butler who's mute um so again he's almost reprising the role i think he does a better job in this than he did in in frankenstein uh bride of frankenstein i think is is the superior film of all of these but it it really is a powerful interesting interesting movie um, no, it's really but
0: you know it, it's been known when i did and when you told me you saw it and how much you enjoyed it um you know i i note that it's been designated sort of a horror comedy sort of similar to bride of frankenstein in a way um yeah
1: it's it's uh not uh, you know it's not uh, a science fiction or 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 supernatural horror like bride of frankenstein or dracula or anything like that but it's it's you know it's more of a but it's it these eccentric characters all put together, give it kind of a comedic atmosphere, like Bride of Frankenstein*. It's it's very, or or also *The Invisible Man*, which is also James Whale, another one of my favorites. Uh, also has a lot of comedic tones in it. So it's it's really it's not a it's not a comedy in the sense of you know later Abbott and Costello that type of thing. It's it's very much a James Whale film. You know that's that's really what it comes down to the very eccentric, uh, flamboyant. Uh, without
0: putting any spoilers and i think one of the things that um it also really deals with um mental illness right it deals with
1: that, the... that, that's a really uh, and again I, I also don't want to spoil the movie but on the other hand there's one character at the end who's kind of hidden throughout the whole movie and when when he is presented me being a person who works with the mentally ill in my ministry both at rockland psychiatric center and at waymart uh as we discussed in our other podcast um, being a chaplain in, in in a prison and in a mental hospital and the prison being a mental health program focused prison I experience what it's like to interact with people who are mentally ill to minister to them the very high level of intelligence that most of them possess uh, especially their religious fixations you know most uh, you know you'll find maybe not most, but you 'll find a lot of mentally ill people who will know scripture by heart and be able to quote scripture uh, and and correct you if if you're using a different translation or something because they they're so well versed in scripture and and a little bit of that is present there, but also this just the way that that again this character at the end who who was you know uh, I, there, there are several mentally ill people in the, in this, in this, uh... right.
0: Obviously, I mean, in the, I mean, the, the whole night, I think, um, you know, if you take a look at the the trailer that you can find on, um, you know, uh, you know, it's readily available. You can see yeah. the, the, the images really, uh, are very stark and indicate, um, a, a an aggression, rashness, uh, anxiety, um, and, um, Yeah, it definitely, again, I don't know much about the film. I definitely want to see it. I know that it's only 72 minutes long. (laughs) And it it seems like it runs, it seems like it's really full of a lot of what eventually becomes a lot of the classic tropes of the dark and stormy night, you know, being stuck in an old house. But this seems to be one of the first talkies to actually do it. Um, And it is pre-code so there's a little bit of a, i guess there's a risque element in it as well right
1: somewhat you know not nothing uh nothing at that time were quite a lot more violent than this one, but it's a very there's a, there's some very tender moments there's some very but the the level of acting and the level of precision that Whale really always had in all of his films, but like this film really it it has all of the the aspects that a James Whale film has to see you know these uh, the level of acting Right quality. and again it really J.B. B., J. R.C. Sheriff who did the, the screenplay mm-hmm. and Priestley wrote the, the novel that it's based on but uh, Sheriff who's uncredited did the screenplay for The Invisible Man and I think that's really where the humor comes in you know yeah. with and, and also it's just fascinating that it's even though it's a, an American movie, most of the cast are British.
0: Well, you know, you, know, you got it Melvin Douglas and Raymond of- Massey. Raymond Massey yeah. was
1: Canadian, by the way.
0: Uh, right. And, and Melvin Douglas uh, was quite an American. And I think he was, in a way, the prototypical dashing look for the 1930s. Yeah, um,
1: you have Karloff, you have Charles Lawton, you have you have uh, remember Wills, you have a, a, quite a few British actors in this movie. Yeah.
0: I, You know, I, again, a little point that always struck me. Um, and it's really one of the reasons I think why Capra really hated uh, Arsenic and Old Lace was because he could not get Karloff to do it. You know, although Karloff, you know, the original Frank Kesterling play, Karloff actually played himself or played right. the character supposed to look like him, the one that was on Broadway. Uh, it ran for, I guess, 300 and something um, uh, you know, showings. Uh, you know, but, but when uh, Capra wanted to make the movie, Karloff refused. So yeah. they have to get Raymond Massey, who's in this film, to play the person who supposedly looks like Boris Karloff, which you know it's, it's so disconcerting. But, you know, um, um, you know Arsac and Old Lace is something, of course, a staple really of.
1: of- Interesting about this uh, that Bella Lugosi actually played that role on stage uh, for a few years as well. The Karloff, the Karloff uh, character. Uh, Was was played on stage by Bella Lugosi. I didn't know that. I just learned that recently. On there's a a YouTube channel, Dark Corners, and they do a lot of movie reviews and they do some documentaries. All right, listen,
0: Yitzhak, do not praise the competition. Yeah, (laughs) there's other. Come to us. We'll tell you about that. We'll sell you the other stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know what? You definitely gave me a a desire to see this film, and as a and another type of film that we talked about, Hollywood, uh, we and we've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks, you know, the interconnection
1: between the US and Britain. Um, I actually yeah, this um, film has was like I said with the British cast and one right. in, in a way, Males, in a way no, it's please. sort of
0: I understand it's sort of a send up of you know British Moors. And I think all these characters, the Lawton character and perhaps the others are supposedly, you know, typical British um fops or uh, people that uh, that perhaps are going to learn a lesson, um, yeah, and in a way, um, you know, it sort of punctures, I guess, uh, some of the respectability of what was considered the, you know, the British uh, gentry and and and, and etc. So, you know, I I think that it probably you know James Whale it was uh, I don't think anything he made uh, was just arbitrary. I think he you know he was a person who. Who was like a an auteur of the greatest, uh, in the greatest way, um, trying to paint the perfect picture. And I think just for the images, it's probably worth it. I know that it was um, uh, when they restored the film, they actually uh, submitted it in the 2017 a number of uh, international festivals, so people should get to see this to see this film again, to see the way it was originally done and i think it was uh, you know very much a uh, a lost masterpiece um uh, i want to talk about a film that that is also very much a uh, a send up of british life and british attitudes um and it's a film that uh, is 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 um was based on and the screenplay was actually written by the author of the original stage play noel coward and the film i'm talking about is Black spirit which is a film um, that was released in 1945, but the stage play on which it was based on, and, and Coward made some uh, alterations, and we've talked about you know the problems of filming a play, um, but the play was actually uh, developed over a couple of weeks, and it ran as a great hit in Britain in the midst of World War II, uh, as when people were still uh, mourning their dead during the Blitz, it became a tremendously popular film. Um, it sort of, you know, reminds me, again, of our period, although the COVID is not as uh, extreme as what was going on during World War II, but it was sort of a way, a coping mechanism for the people of Britain. You had a film that really dealt in a very lighthearted fashion with death, dealing with, uh, it's about a, uh, uh, a sort of a ghost, a spirit that comes back to a husband who has already remarried, and it isn't just like Topper or Beetlejuice or something like that. Uh, it, it really, it, in a way, um, opens up the superficiality
1: of the main character. Uh, it it's named, funny you mentioned Beetlejuice that was the other movie we watched over a of my- you know, dead people that that nobody else can see that are
0: haunting uh, there really is in a way when the man's second wife comes back when Charles Condamine's second wife um, is, 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 is frustrated by the fact that the first wife has come back and clearly this man uh, played by Rex Harrison in the film um, who had been somewhat of a um, I don't know if he was ever matinee idol, but by this time in 1945, he was already someone you know, you know, he's already approaching middle age, very much a middle age, but a serious actor. Obviously, someone very much in command of diction, as we all know, was playing Henry Higgins later, Um, and he is the um, is the husband who somehow has to cope with the fact that now his dead wife has come back, and she seems to be stuck in the house with him. And his second wife is extremely frustrated. Of course, there's a lot of hijinks in the beginning where he's talking to the dead wife and she thinks that he is talking to her. And, you know, the actors really pull it off. Well, we've seen this type of trope consistently, like where the character is invisible and no one can hear them. Who are you talking to? This is a very obvious little shtick of screwball comedies. It's probably been done a number of times. But this film does it really lusciously and beautifully. Um, the film was directed by David Lean. Now, Rex Harrison said, I think, in his autobiography, that, uh, that unfortunately, this was a film that was supposed to be a comedy and was given over to one of the great British directors who really did not have a, a flair for comedy at all. David Lean, of course, is the director of Lawrence of Arabia, of Dr. shivago And in the 40s, he made some incredible classics, including the very anti-Semitic Oliver twist where uh, you know um, you have one of the worst uh, examples of an anti-Semitic character, Alec Guinness playing Fagan as a as a pedophile and as a murderer, and which, which Dickens probably meant, but <laughs> this was not Ron Moody playing him in the in the musical in 1968. So David Lean, uh, you know, and of course David Lean made Great Expectations in the 40s as well. David Lean was an, a very gifted director, one of really the great British directors, but. This film, it doesn't have the lightest touch, but it is really, it's, it's filmed in uh, tremendous technicolor. Uh, I talked about uh, the, the film you recommended, um, the, uh, the Old House. Um, it, it, it's the restoration, the, the black and white imagery is, is, is stark and, and, and beautiful. I would say that the, I've rarely seen such beautiful technicolor um, as you can see in this film uh the spirit. Um, the, but, but I think, the, although the film really deals with what does it mean that we have relationships and how do we move on from relationships and what is it that connects us to our, our, the people that we're married to and what is it really about and how we reflect about it. It's also, as I said, uh, a, a, a send up of... That type of upper crust British attitude. Um, And it also deals with the attitude that many of these uh, aristocratic people have to spiritualism, because the character that is able to bring the dead woman back is Madame Arcati, who has been a mystic and has somehow been a medium ever since she's four years old. And this, I think, is probably Noel Coward's most inspired comedic creation and um it's played here by margaret rutherford uh if you take a, a, a if you google blight spirit and all the different uh versions of it including some of the ones that were made recently you'll see that this character is always played by an actress uh, who's really looking for it's almost like the lady macbeth of 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 drawing room comedies it's really an incredible credible drawn character and i think it's look it's in a way, um, a very full representation of what does it mean to be an eccentric mystic. It isn't just an off the wall person like you might find Martin Short playing in, 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 in certain comedies. Uh, you know, I'm thinking about Father of the Bride or something like that, with just someone with a funny accent who's just bumping into walls, or even Peter Sellers' roles as Clouseau. This is really an eccentric. But with a sense of dignity as well about what she believes in, and um, you know, although there are inconsistencies in her approach that make it funny, she really is committed totally. So you really have some great performances in here. Um, the 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 women are famous British actresses. I think Kay Hammond. Um, and uh, Constance Cummings, I think, are the are, are the women who play uh, the first and second wives, second and fir- first and second wives, respectively. And some of them were reprising their stage roles, um, but Margaret Rutherford as the medium, uh, she makes sense. And, in other words, when you see her and when you hear her talk about uh, the events and how she's trying to make sense of them, you almost can believe that she actually is able to connect to people in the other world. And I think this really brings up the bigger issue, which is in the middle of war, and even when the film came out after so many had died, to be presented with a, um, I don't know if the word is immature, or a very mild and almost teetering on the ridiculous sense of what does it mean to die, to come back, um, when you had people that, that were being murdered and slaughtered. And yet we don't want to think about that. But, but we don't necessarily want to put death completely under, uh, under wraps. We want to talk about death. We want to speak about death in, in, in this fairy tale, fantastic way where when you die, you're in some sort of office and you can write papers and you can somehow come back. And, um, and when you come back, you sort of look almost the way you did before, except you've got some sort of greenish hue about you. I think this is a, um, uh, you know, to me, it's fascinating how that this play and film and it's all, all the remakes and redons has, 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 has had an incredible life. You know, unlike the film that you said, which which is sort of this, um, we have to rediscover a masterpiece. *Blithe Spirit* is, is, is always being done. If you Google it, you'll see that it's it's a play that um, is always being uh, produced in one fashion or another. And, and I think it really speaks to the fact that we can't really we want to, to get a grip on what mortality means. What does it mean when we lose someone? But we actually want it in a way that. Um, it's 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 just you know some sort of um, uh, you know off the cuff sort of oh yeah yeah you die and then she was in some other place and now she comes back and right um, without really facing up to the horror of what of losing somebody um, and and again we don't always want to be uh, in a down state but but I think it's really the opposite people want a, an idea of death, you know, like a Flintstone vitamin, you know, they want an idea of death that, that, that they can somehow talk about and think about and say, yeah, yeah, that that person's really, you know, they look exactly almost like they did right before they died. And in some way, you know, they're, you know, they're somehow uh, still haunting and still possibly able uh, to connect to us. It's, there is no necessarily Ganeden. There's no necessarily a place where they're going and changing and transforming. They're pretty much the same thing. Like death is really just some place that you like, like you're under the covers somewhere. And I think that's part of the um, unfortunately, you know, the, the sort of like what we need to suck our thumbs on. Otherwise, the the, the idea of of, of of things is is, is really too, too great to to comprehend and to really absorb. I think one of the things that I think is interesting about the film as well, and this, you know, I've, I've mentioned many times when we talked about *Wise Blood* and other films and books, the differences between uh, the film and the book or the play. In the original play, the uh, main character, the Charles Condamine character, uh, actually just leaves both of his, you know, because it turns out, spoiler alert, that the second wife um, ends up dying as well. because. The ghosts, although they can't be seen, have a power, unless it's by the person who they're coming for. Uh, The ghosts can move things around. So the first wife wanted to kill off Condamine, Rex Harrison, in order that he should join her in this Oylma state, um, or the Oylma Sheker state, as it would be. And um, it turns out that the wrong, she gets into the car instead of him. So it turns out the second wife dies as well, and then they're both there, you know, haunting him. So in the original play uh, that Noel Coward wrote, they end up, uh, he ends up basically uh, leaving them, and they're stuck in the house because this is where they came back to, and he runs away from them, and now he's got a life of his own. So once again, it shows you that uh, he, you know, his relationship was with each of them. One of them was just a lusty, sensual one that had no intellectuality, and the other one was sort of just a very a stuffy one that was really lacking in real love, um, and real, you know, physical love and underst- in, in that way. And he basically is now moving on beyond both of them. In the film, however, um, he sort of gets his comeuppance by um, because I guess they're able to. You know, to alter the brakes again in the car, and it turns out they're all three stuck together for eternity somewhere. Um, so it's really, you know, very much a trifle, but uh, but but it, it's something which I think uh, uh, surprisingly stays with you because of the beauty of the uh, what David Lean is able to do. I think the sharpness of the dialogue, uh, Margaret Rutherford's performance, um, and uh, the The cinematography and and, and the, the the incredible use of colors um, the film i think has been has been noted even though it was made in thousand nine hundred and forty five and has very sophisticated uh, sense of special effects and how they 're able to make you actually believe that although the characters are standing next to each other that one is actually in a different plane uh, of existence than the other so i think it's a, a, it 's a, it's, it's perhaps a trifle that that might be worthwhile to sort of if you are somewhat depressed and you're thinking about death and other things like that i think it's a film that that you can you know uh, enjoy um, and and i think it stays with you in some ways um i know that when i told you that i was going to talk about Blythe Spirit*, uh, we mentioned
1: i really enjoyed him and was the agony and the ecstasy where he he plays a pope who was warring with the Michelangelo who's played by quite well actually by Charlton Heston Uh, very interesting movie really way too long it could have been a much shorter movie but I I made it through it and (laughs) um, one thing I appreciate was that you know he played that Pope uh, you know recognizing that uh, by that time in history the Pope was more of a political figure than a religious figure you know uh,
0: I I think you know, you can put words into many actors, but Rex Harrison, you really believe that he conveys the intelligence of the words that he's saying.
1: Yeah, um, and that's that—that's what you... In that movie, that's what I saw, in, you know, obviously... And, and, and obviously, as, as, as Higgins in My Fair Lady, where he is someone who is
0: obsessed with language, words, you know, I, I think it was almost a role he was meant to play. Although, as you're right, Julie Andrews did play opposite him in my fair lady, I do want to mention that, you know, my
1: and, and only on stage, not obviously not in the movie. Yet. Of course it was Audrey
0: Hepburn and, um, you know, with someone else dubbing her voice. I think that the, uh, you know, just to mention, you know, you, you started today with your family, uh, little, little piece of your family's uh, halimoid uh, excursion. So I'll just add in a little bit of a little bit of a Rex Harrison note um, that although I knew about My Fair Lady when I was growing up, my mother had bought me, uh, she bought for herself um, the actually the Broadway cast recording album. And of course, Rex Harrison was not uh, um, on that album for some reason. Uh, they had, a, I guess, another singer who could actually do more than talk, sing. You know, Rex Harrison didn't really have a, much of a voice. Um, but I was familiar with Rex Harrison. Um, from a film that I was dying to see when I was growing up as a little boy uh, because I had read all the books and that was, of course, uh, Dr. Doolittle, the Dr. Doolittle series, which you know, I had read all the Hugh, Hugh Lofting novels or you know, stories of Dr. Doolittle. Those were actually books from the 1920s and um,
1: I just ate them up
0: when I was a kid. Um, and, uh, I, I, and then I saw that uh, when I was uh, about seven years old, that these were the books that I had been reading for years, that they were making a movie out of it. And uh, I couldn't wait. And uh, the movie did come out in 1967, but in Memphis, Tennessee, the theater that was meant to uh, show this film, um, the Crosstown Theater, which was a theater I could walk to from my house, uh, was playing gone with the wind for i i, it, I believe guzma it was 96 weeks i believe because as you know nothing stirs uh people in the south than a film about the civil war and about how great the south was and how the south has suffered so i was waiting and waiting for dr Doom to come out so i could see it and uh but for some reason gone with the wind was still held over so despite the fact that the film was being shown throughout the united states well, I could only see it in my town. And the only place it was ever going to show was at this theater. Eventually, sometime, I guess in late 1968, when the film was already over a year and a half old, uh, I finally got to see the film. And and the film, Yitzchok, you talk about uh, you talk about uh, length of films. Once again, this was a long one. This film was, uh, the running time was 152 minutes. So uh, you take a real trifle children's story and you really blow it into it's sort of this enormous, you know, unfortunately, um, very boring and not convincing version of a classic. And um, I was so disappointed by Rex Harrison's portrayal. Uh, you Because know, you know, to me, the idea of, of a person like Dr. Doolittle, who to me was the epitome of, of, of intelligence and being able to solve issues and ex- exploring the world and exploring the world of animals that he was able to speak to. I, I was so disappointed by how unlovable and unlikable you know, Rex Harrison was as this character. He seemed, although you know, he, you know, they had all the animals around him, like he was ex- like, what the heck am I doing in this flop? right I can't stand it um and uh, it was to me it's, it, it left such a a a bad taste in my mouth uh because here was again the the to to finally see on screen the what I had read about and imagined about and waiting to see that and then really being so so duly disappointed there are some again you know so doctor i I don't know if that's rex harrison's uh because he had, he was in a number of flops. I was thinking he was also in Cleopatra as well, which is also considered one of the great flops of of the year. But um, but it's it, it, I you know, I think it uh, you know it, it, in a way uh, as much as you would say Rex Harrison uh, had to suffer as the character of Charles Condamine in Blight Spirit, I guess that would have been perhaps. Uh, it's probably better to hang out with your two ex-wives than to have to be known for eternity as, you know, as 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 as, as Dr. Doolittle in, in a film that really, you know, I, I can't see you know, because he had, he was in a number of flops. I think he was also in Cleopatra as well, which is also considered one of the great flops of of the year. But. um but it, 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 I you know, I think it, uh, you know, it, it, in a way, uh, as much as you would say Rex Harrison uh, had to suffer as the character of Charles Condamine in Blight Spirit, I guess that would have been perhaps, uh, it, it's probably better to hang out with your two ex-wives than to have to be known for eternity as, you know, as as as, as 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 dr doolittle in, in a film that really you know i i can't see anybody uh, sitting through it uh, anymore that's probably a, a worse <laughs> a worse hell than you could think of is uh, being stuck in a bad adaptation of, of of a children's film and you are the almost the opposite of someone of whimsy so that's just a little bit of Rex Harrison stuff um And uh, as we say, so that's about it, my friends, today. Watch your step on the way out. We'll catch you. Be well. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.